Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We lay our crowns and we worship you. Good morning, my sisters and brothers. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence this morning. We lay our crowns and we worship our God. Sister Tashina read James 2, 1 to 13, which will be the scripture from which I'll be sharing this morning. So I will not read it in totality again. But what I will do, I will read different verses as it relates to, to what I sense the Lord has laid upon my heart. So Holy Spirit, you lead, you speak. You speak this morning so that we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last three weeks, we have been discovering that genuine faith isn't passive. What we have been learning is that genuine faith is actively expressed in all our actions. So my personal behavior and my the way I relate to others, the, your personal behavior when no one is looking, and the way you relate to others speaks volume about your faith. And told us this morning that it's not the surprise. It's the fact that it is there. Because if you're caught off, off guard when nothing is there, nothing will be there to quiver. And it, it reminds me of roaches, and If you have roaches in, in your house, the best time to know is night. It's not in the day. They come out at night. And if you turn that light on suddenly, they start to scamper. But if they're there, it meant that they're there. It's not the surprise of the light. It's the fact that roaches are there. And so this morning, I want us to just to recap the our last three weeks message. And then we'll move on to, verse, to chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. We grasped the concept the last time that placing our faith in God enables us to view the numerous trials we face as chances for personal growth. James says, consider pure joy. Consider joy. By embracing a mindset of humility and contentment, we can endure these trials and ultimately become whole, mature, and lacking in nothing. It therefore means that faith extends beyond mere belief in God. Because we know the scripture tells us the demons believe and shudder, eh? But faith is, extends beyond just mere belief in God. And it's a belief that goes beyond just God fulfilling. I, I remember having a discussion this week, or I think it was on Monday, and we're looking at faith. Faith, the definition of faith, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things not seen. But James is opening our eyes to look at faith through a different lens. James is saying, it's not merely belief in God and hoping for your needs or guides, guidance through tough times. Our faith in God is exhibited through our active obedience to the word of God. Therefore, the, the way I live, the way I listen, the way I speak, the way I control my anger and my relationship with others, the way I participate, 
participating acts of service. The way I am, I display moral purity. The way I practice true religion by caring for the for those who are less fortunate, and the way I look into the mirror and allow the word of God to transform me speaks about my faith. This week we will discover that faith in God leads us to treat all individuals with love, mercy, respect, and kindness irrespective of their worldly status. So in essence, I heard Tashina before she read, she said, um, James too said, um, favoritism is forbidden. So we have been looking at this series, what kind of person is this? This week, we want to look at what kind of person can Con, con, compassionately serves. The last three weeks we have been looking at what kind of person consistently stands. And we looked at the trials that they're going through, temptation they are going through, but what kind of persons consistently stand, not stand today, fall tomorrow, but consistently stands. This week and next week we'll be looking at what kind of person compassionately serves. We see in verses one, James addresses his audience as brothers and sisters. And he says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And he gives an example and he says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes an expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? We started out by looking, when we started out in James 1, we recognized that James was not writing to sinners. He was writing and addressing his, his, his letter to, to his brothers and sisters, signifying that, that they are all fellow believers, fellow Christians in Christ. So he's not writing to a rich man who is a sinner who does not know God. He's writing to brother, his brothers and sisters in the church community. James says, I forbid favoritism in the Christian community. And he establishes this theme, the central theme of the passage, emphasizing the significance of impartiality. So can you remember an incident when you were treated unfairly or when you showed favoritism to someone over another? It is easier for us to remember the times when we were unfair, un, un, untreated unfairly because most times we don't stop to recognize what we have been doing and how we have been partial and how we have been showing favoritism to others over, the, over, over another. So what is favoritism and or partiality? Favoritism or partiality are all forms of discrimination. When we place favoritism or partial, when we practice favoritism 
or partiality, we give preferential treatment or show bias to a particular person or group, often at the expense of others who may be equally or more deserving. And when I when when I looked at the definition and I and I thought of Jesus, I, I said Jesus had three close friends, and you may think the same. Jesus had three close friends that that out of the entire 12 that he, he was around. And, and I questioned that. But the thought that came to my mind was he wasn't showing favoritism. He, these were guys that he that he could he could ask to come alongside him when he needed support. These were guys that he, he brought with him when he was doing something that he needed someone very close. But guess what? He, his time with them was never at the expense of another. He never gave them things that others deserved. He never spent time. He, 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 he never opened doors for them where he and, and, and kept those others in the dark. Jesus loved them equally. Favoritism results in persons receiving or giving special privileges, advantages or treatment based on personal feelings, relationships or biases rather than objective criteria. So we, you and I know of the person who was, who was promoted in a job who didn't qualify. They did not have the qualification to, to, to get the job, but because someone favored them they got that job and, and it may have been a job that you had applied for or someone you knew applied for that they didn't get because someone was favored by the supervisor or the boss. And we know of those stories. And maybe it was you. Maybe you were the one who was, who, who, who was favored. In most cases, favoritism is based on external factors such as wealth, appearance, or social status. Many of us experience favoritism in our homes, workplaces, church communities, highlighting that favoritism can occur in any context. And some of us grew up in homes where we knew that our parents loved one more than the other. Or we, we were in church and we would see how pastor so-and-so or reverend so-and-so or deacon so-and-so treated one better than the other. The story of Jacob and Joseph in Genesis 37 verse 3 illustrates the story of a family suffering from the effects of favoritism and partiality. Verse 3 reveals that Jacob openly loved Joseph more than any of his other children. The scripture tells us that, so I am not making this up. This preferential treatment caused tension and jealousy among Joseph's brothers, and they resented him. That's a common thing. We normally resent those who are given favor over us. And this led to a series of events within the family, which I will not go into today, but you can read the story from chapter 37, Genesis 37 to 50. You can read the story. So James is saying to us that this is, that there are two strangers in verses two to four. James creates a scenario and, he, and to make his point, and he says, two strangers are entering church. The usher comes and the usher looks at one who is, who is attired, richly attired, lavishly dressed. And the usher says, you 
come and the usher will seat that person into maybe the preferred seating, maybe the seats that have more cushion or in the front or wherever. But to the other who is raggedly dressed, the usher will say, you stand over there or you sit on the floor. And we, 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 you and I may have experienced that by going to some churches, the ushers will come and depending on how they see you, they put you at different points, different spots within the church to sit. James exposes that if the basis for seating one person while having the other stand is based solely by the external appearance, then the member would have set themselves up as a judge. If you and I treat persons based off their external appearance or because we know that they are, they are wealthy, James is saying to you and I that we have set ourselves up as a judge. What is in a man's heart is never on his, on his body. You can't read it by his body, body language, but uh, by what he wears. In verse 7, James rebukes us and he says, rebukes us for becoming judges. He says, for passing judgment. He says, when we allow ourselves to be governed by wrong reasons, we have passed judgments. When we show partiality to one person over the other because of their external trappings, we have misunderstood our status. We have judged when it is God, God who judges. When we trust our own judgment, we are guilty of the sin of partiality for which we will be judged. Every time you and I show partiality, it sheds light on our underlying moral condition and the evil motives in our hearts. Every time you look at someone, because we know when someone has money, you can see the fabric. We know the fabric, and that is why you and I try to, to get certain fabric. If it's a one piece of good dress that we have, one good suit we have, we ensure that we have a good suit, right? We ensure that we have a good dress because we know that people will treat us based off our shoes, our dress, or our jewelry. And so we, we go out of our way to acquire these things so that we can receive the treatment that we deserve or what we think we deserve. But James says our heart's condition when we, are, when we are partial or when we show favoritism dictates that our hearts are evil. James argues that when we give preferential treatment, favoring the wealthy over the poor, or when we judge persons based on their outward appearance or superficial attributes, it reveals the unkind, self-serving, and morally questionable motives within our hearts. Can you believe that your faith is tied to your partiality? So how is this so? We show favoritism for various reasons. We show, partial, we, we, we show partiality because of our personal biases. You and I prefer to be, per, be around persons who are like-minded. Eh? We believe the more we hobnob with persons who are like us, the greater the possibilities for doors to be open for us. And, 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 and check the people that you hang around. What is it that you need from them? What is it that you think that they can give you while you're around them? 
We also show favoritism because of our desired personal gain. We show curry favor, which I thought was a Jamaican word until I realized, no, it is a common phrase. We show curry favor because of our self-interest. We favor those who can offer something in return. But Deuteronomy 10, 17 and Acts 10, 34, verse 35 tells us that God does not show favoritism or partiality, but accepts everyone and treats them equally. Luke 6, verses 32 to 36 says, What credit is that to you if you love those who love you or do good to those who do good to you? What is the benefit? He says, but even the world does that. Think about the persons you try to align yourselves with. Do they have the potential to open doors for you? Do they have the potential to give you something in return for what you're doing for them? We also show favoritism because we fear the consequences of our actions. We show favoritism because we fear the potential repercussions of not aligning with the preference of someone in authority. Showing favoritism reveals a lack of faith in God and contradicts the principles of faith and trust in God's divine wisdom and justice. What favoritism says, because I am looking to you, I am going to show faith. I'm going to be impartial. I'm going to be partial to you because I'm expecting and looking to you to do something for me. You know what that says? It says I'm not looking to God to do what I want him to do or what I need done. And so as long as you are showing favoritism to one over the other, James is saying to, to, to us, that it, it is revealing your lack of faith in God. And you may wonder the same way I wonder, but how is this a lack of faith? Because if I look to you, I'm not looking to God. If I look to you to open a door for me, so I come and I do everything for you and I'm around you, hoping, hoping that one day, one day you may get a break. And when you get that break, you'll bring me in. Because we know we, we always say, when I open the door, I'll bring others through or we'll bring others in. Could that be the reason why you are doing what you're doing? What steps can I take to avoid showing favoritism? Examine your own biases. As Jamaicans, we know how we see the Asians. We are guilty of our treatment to the Haitians. We see them as less person than we are. But examine your biases. And so as you do things, check your motives. Treat everyone with respect the way you want to be treated. Practice empathy. Avoid stereotyping. Promote inclusivity. Some of us prefer our little groups and we love our little groups and we feel good in our little groups. And we say, that's me, our, my little group, me in my small corner with my little groups. Group. Challenge unjust practices. We avoid favoritism by seeing all people as equally equal despite their external appearances, status, and wealth. We avoid favoritism by aligning our actions more closely with our faith in God.
to my first point that I just shared with you, that the kind of person James is calling us to be is one who is who compassionately serve by not showing favoritism. The kind of person who compassionately serve does not show favoritism. Compassion and favoritism do not go hand in hand. My next point today is the kind of person who compassionately serves understands or operates from God's perspectives. In James 5, 5 to 7, James says, listen to me, dear brothers. He's calling their attention. He says, pay attention. This is important. You must hear this. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ whose noble name you bear? Rather than providing straightforward information, James poses challenging questions to his readers prompting them to reflect on their actions and attitudes towards wealth and social status. I must at this point pause to say nothing is wrong with having wealth. I'm not promoting poverty. I'm just saying, I'm just using the scripture that James has, has given us as, 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 as a benchmark for our hearts of faith, our life of faith. And he said, the world favors those who have wealth and status, but God does not operate within that sphere. God singled out the poor in this world and he did it for two reasons. He said, to be rich in faith. God said, I singled out the poor so that they'll be rich in faith. Faith is the open hand of the soul to receive the bounty supply of God. God singled out the poor to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. God sees beyond external appearances and he recognizes the deep faith and dependence on him that can be found in individuals who face material poverty. The truth be told, you and I are closer to the Lord when we are in lack. You and I become desperate for God. And we say, God, we need you when we are in lack. As our God says, the, lack, the, the poor depends on me. The poor looks to me. The poor is not trying to, 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 to create wealth so that they can, they can go off. The poor know that I have to stay in relationship with God because it's from him I am sustained. It is through him my sustenance comes. Whenever you are tempted to show favoritism to the wealthy or to those who, are so, who have social status or to dishonor the poor in this world, stop and examine from whose perspective are you operating? Is it the world's or is it God's? When God chose the lamb and the dove above the lion and the eagle for sacrifice, he did not opt for symbols of strength and power, but rather he selected the lamb and the dove as symbols of meekness and hope. God will always work with the underdog. 
God will always work with those who have no value or worth in the eyes of the world. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 tells us that God chose the foolish things of the world that he might shame the wise. And he selects the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Look at it. We'd have thought that with the with, with, with the lion and the eagle, the top of their of, of, of their, their chain, you would have thought that God would have used them for sacrifice, but no, he chose the lamb, he chose the dove. James points out that when we show partiality based on external appearances, we are despising and dishonoring those whom God has given the greatest honor. God said, the poor, they are rich in faith because they trust me. The poor will inherit the kingdom because I have promised it to those who love, love me. James compares the value of faith against the value of riches. And he concludes that the poor are the ones that are rich in faith. Rich because they are rich in faith. So in essence, James is saying, riches is not by what you possess externally, but it's by your faith, your faith in God that makes you rich. James tells us that the rich believers were exploiting the Christians, dragging the poor believers into court, and were blaspheming the name of Christ. So when Christians discriminate against the poor, when we show favoritism against one because of their external trappings, or when we, 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 we are partial in our actions towards others, James says we are blaspheming against God. Showing partiality is not just about unfair treatment of individuals, but also about misrepresenting God's character and distorting our Christian identity. For every time you and I show favoritism, we are misrepresenting God's character. For every time you and I select someone because in our eyes, they are who we want to rub shoulders with and to treat them better because of what we think that they may have, we are misrepresenting the kindness, the loving, and, and the great God. When we engage in favoritism, we distort the image of God as just, loving, and impartial. So how can I, how can you, how can you and I ensure that our actions align with God's perspective? See people beyond what they wear. See people beyond what they own. See people beyond what they look like. See people beyond their past experiences. See people beyond their titles and their many degrees. See people beyond. See people through the eyes of Christ. We align with God's perspective when we practice humility. We align with God's perspective when we examine our motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I, why am I leaning to be friendly to this person more than to the other? Why do I walk into a room and I, and, and I earmark the person based on what they look like, the car they drive, or, or the title that they have? And some of us are, are, are into that. We are into titles. Why? 
James is calling us to practice empathy because he said the kind of person who compassionately serves operates from God's perspective. My third point is the kind of person who compassionately serves practices the royal law to love. In verses 8 to 11, James says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you, are, you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin, James says. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law laws. For the same God who says you must not commit adultery also says you must not com commit murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have broken the law. In verses 8 to 11, James is pointing out that the key to right living is following the royal law. The, and, 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 he, and he explains what the royal law is. The royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the supreme overarching principle that should govern you and I, should govern our interactions with others. Thereby showing favoritism violates this law because when you and I show favoritism, we are not loving our neighbors as ourselves. We are not treating others the way we want to be treated. Showing favoritism constitutes sin because partiality and favoritism shows a lack of love and compassion and undermines unity that fosters community living. James emphasizes that breaking even one part of the law makes someone guilty of breaking the entire law. Breaking the law highlights, or the royal law highlights the interconnectedness of God's commands and reveals the importance of living in obedience to God's commands. Disobedience in one area signifies a disregard for God's authority as a whole. Can you believe that? For every time you and I disobey, one area of God's command, we show a disregard for his authority on a whole. Every time, can you believe that? As And in our mind, we may be looking at, look at how simple favoritism is. Look at how easy it is and look how simple it is to show preferential treatment to one over the other. And I am not saying that you won't have person that you're closer to. We saw that with Jesus. He had three people that he was close, closest to. But as I said before, he did not disregard one over the other. He did not give to one what he should have given to the other. James called his readers to make the royal law to love our neighbors ourselves or guiding principles for our interactions. So how do I practice the royal law to love? First, it begins with examining your hearts. Check your heart to see where your biases are. Check your heart to see where your prejudices are. Where, where are you prejudiced? Are you prejudiced only with the Haitians or are you prejudiced with someone whose skin color may be lighter? Are you prejudiced because of the person's 
position in it. You may be at a certain level, but you may consider them lower than you and you look down on them. Are you, are you having biases in that regard? James is saying the royal law to love is what God has called us to do. Let love motivate you and I. Let love motivate us to conquer any areas in which we have the tendency to be partial. Work towards unity in the church, in your workplaces, in your families, in your communities, rather than disunity. Because James says, wherever disunity is, God's royal law is not there. So if you find yourself amongst a group that is segregated in your church, in your workplace, in your community against another, even in your culture, James says, the royal law is not being practiced. If you find that in your family, you may, 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 may be part of a group in the family that love one set more than the other, James says, you are promoting this unity. The royal law is not evident. My fourth claim, which I, which this morning is the kind of person who compassionately serves, speaks and acts as those who will be judged. Verse 12 says, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. So, so James is saying the same law that sets you free is the same law by which you will be judged. And here James introduces the law of, of liberty. The law of liberty is, a so, is often associated with the teachings of Jesus Christ and the message of his grace that brought us freedom. The law of liberty encourages believers to be responsible for our words and actions because every word we speak and everything that we do, we have to give an account. I think I heard Sister Karen mention this morning, she said, Lord, show us our blind side. And she then ex extended her priority. She said, Lord, if we, if we find ourselves gossiping or slandering, I think that's what I hear. Maybe I misheard, misheard what she said. But if that's what not, but, but I am going to speak. So if we find ourselves gossiping and slandering and speaking against people to tear them down, James is saying, the same law that makes you free this morning to sit and to lay your crown before the Lord is the same law that is going to judge you. It is the same God you stand before that makes you free. It's going to judge you because of what you said, said or what you did. The same law is going to judge me because of what I do and what I say. We are free to live according to God's moral and ethical standards rather than out of fear of punishment or legalistic duty. The law, therefore, cause us to watch what we see because our words and actions reflect the transformation that Christ is sacrifice that Christ sacrifice brought to our lives so when you and i speak loosely whether it's about person someone or about a thing and whenever we just do things without understanding james says remember that the same Jesus who died for you to be free is the same Jesus. Because of what he did, you will be judged. 
because he died not only for you, but he died for those who you are speaking against. He died also for those through which you will slander and gossip about. If you talk and act kindly, James said you will be treated kindly. But if you, if you talk and act unkindly, you will be treated unkindly because you will be judged accordingly. The law of liberty demands us to be accountable for everything we say and do. And last week we looked at James saying, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Control your anger. Control what you say. Control what you do. Because our words and our action puts us in the place to be judged by God's law. Our speech and our actions, according to James, are subjected to judgment. So how do I speak and act as those who will be judged? First, adopt a mindset of gratitude, humility, and contentment. Because many times we speak about things we do not know. We speak about things we do not understand. Bless and not curse, which we see that in Deuteronomy 28. Seek to obey God's commandment, not out of legalistic duty, but from a heart transformed by love for him. Extend love and mercy to others as you have received love and mercy from God. Let your actions be a reflection of the freedom and grace you have been given. Stay open to correction. Stay open to the guidance of God's word through, through, through prayer and through his word and the input of others. My fifth and final point is that the kind of person who compassionately serves shows mercy to others. In verse 13, James said, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. James provides a powerful reminder of God's mercy to us and the importance of extending that mercy to others. Notice that receiving mercy is conditional upon showing mercy. For only the merciful obtain mercy. Only the merciful receive mercy. Only those who give mercy will in turn receive mercy. In verse 12, James tells us that justice demands that the sinner be condemned. But verse 13 tells us that mercy pleads that the sinner be saved. The mercy that you and I give is never sufficient to the mercy that we have received from God. We are never truly as merciful as we should be. We are never truly as merciful as God calls us to be. However, God continues to show mercy to us. So how can we apply the message of James 2, 13 in our daily lives? Be introspective. Respect and reflect on your own actions and attitude. Check your thoughts. Check your actions. Practice forgiveness. Forgive as God forgave you because like all people, you are in need of God's mercy. None of us like to be judged. 
None of us like to be to 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 to, to be in a situation where persons are favored over us. Don't let us get to that place where we don't do it to others. Let go of the grudges and the resentments that we carry around because of things that were done to us. Embrace the healing power of mercy. Evaluate whether you are quick to judge or you're slow to extend mercy. Check it. When something happens, are you quick to come down with the gamut and say, yes, that's it? Are you quick to come to a, a conclusion that, yes, that's it? James says for us to apply mercy, we cannot be quick to judge because through the way in which we are judged, we judge, we will be judged. He says, be slow to extend, be slow to judge. To, do not be quick to judge, but, to, to, but be quick to be, be merciful. Embrace the understanding that judgment without mercy is not in line with God's character. Our actions should reflect the victory of mercy over judgment. And some of us are prone more to judgment than we are to mercy because of our wiring, because of the way we grew up, because of our experiences. But James is saying no to us. He's saying there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy. But to those who are merciful, God will, will, will be merciful when he judges you. So in essence, James is saying to us, we are going to be judged because we cannot be, we are not as merciful as we should. But know this for sure, that if you are merciful, God will be merciful to you. And if you, are, if you are not merciful, God will not be merciful to you. James 2, 1 to 13 shows the contrast between faith and favoritism. And in essence, James is saying, that is our faith why, why we judge and not judge. It, is our, it, 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 it speaks of our faith why we show, we show mercy or not show mercy. It is our faith why we discriminate and why we show partiality. It's our faith why we speak and act and we are quick to judge others. He warns against showing impartiality and he forbids it and he says, do not favor the wealthy or those in the world who have high social status over those who are poor. He urges his readers to live in accordance with God's law of love and mercy and calls you and I, Christians, to treat all people with respect and kindness, regardless of their worldly status. James is calling you and I, as he called the church, the Jewish diaspora, who was scattered, living in, in amongst people who do not know God. He says to them, I urge you, treat your fellow brother and sister the way you want to be treated. Actually, Jesus did say to his disciples before he left them, he said, the world will know that you belong to me by the way you love each other, by the way you treat each other, by the way you respond to each other. And James is saying the same thing to us. He says, do not show partiality. Actually, he forbids it. He says, do not discriminate. 
He says the, the person who, 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 who compassionately serves does not show favoritism. They do not operate from God's, they operate rather from God's perspective. They practice the royal law to love. They speak and act as though they know that whatever I speak, whatever comes from my mouth, I'm setting myself up for judgment. I don't know about you. This message this week wrecked me. It hit me. It made me come to the point where decision that I, that I would have made without reading or studying the steps I would have made blindly. But James is saying to us, no. I am urging you, my sisters and my brothers, to serve by showing mercy to others, not being too quick to judge. Do not show favoritism because it is, it is a thing to do because you have a plan that as you open doors for someone, they will open doors for you. Check the people you're hanging around. Where are you around them? What is your motive? What do you want to achieve? What is it that you see that they can do for you? And you're ensuring that you're close by. Just in case the door open, they can bring you through. Check it. Check why you do what you do. I pray that as you, as you reflect this week upon James 2 verses 1 to 13, I pray that you will be the kind of person that James is calling to love, to show mercy, to respect, and to be kind, and to, be, and, and, and to be show kindness to a person irrespective of their worldly status. I leave these words with you, and so Father, I thank you, Lord, that you these very words you used to convict me of my heart condition, to show me where I am quick to judge and slow to show mercy. Where I'm quick to, where I am known as one who shows partial, is partial. Where I'm known as one father who speaks in and out of turn because I am quick to judge an action. And Father, I thank you for your conviction. I thank you for the work that you are doing in me. I thank you for the light that you have shone, Father. And though the light came on so quickly, Father, I was not prepared to scatter because what was in me was in me. I couldn't blame it on anything or anyone, as Anne suggested. But Lord, I have to take full responsibility for where I have allowed the world to influence my action. Where the evil motive and the evil intents of my heart keep coming out, Lord, like a like a pressure cooker ever so often. I let out steam and I and I show my heart. Thank you, Father God, for bringing to my awareness that which is in me that needs to go. I pray that as your daughters and your sons listened today, that they will hear you calling to them, revealing to them the areas in their lives that need to go. Father, I give you thanks for not leaving us where we are. And some of us may feel overwhelmed as if we're saying, God, again, again, God. Because for ever so often, Lord, we, we feel as if we have gotten to that place. 
And there you come switching that light on suddenly and causing us to see that we are not who we think we are. There's work to be done in our hearts. So Father, let our faith in you grow. Let our faith in you, Father God, influence everything we do. Let our faith in you, God, arise. Let our faith in you, God, demonstrate that we are not partial, but we love the way you love. Let our faith, Father God, demonstrate that, God, we are yours and everything about you is in us. That we model your character well. That we do not dishonor you or disregard your authority by disobeying your word. Father, we give you thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Over to you, Sister Anne.